the table is built. Most of you have probably seen the pictures. Uh, we're very, very excited. The table is built, but, I, but the project is not finished yet. And, and I want to communicate that to you. We're going to share more about that today. Uh, and you're going to experience some of kind of the, the space we've created and the lot there we've created. And we're really hoping that you can all catch the vision if you haven't already uh, by being there. And you can see where we're headed as a church and where we're headed with this space and as a community. Uh, but really, we really do need your guys' help to kind of push through and kind of make a final push on that. Uh, which is why I didn't neglect the offering this morning. Because uh, we, we, we've externally, this has been amazing from other churches and partnerships and people have come. We've had, I think, over 100 people. Well, I know over 100 people have come and volunteered, probably closer to 150 to make it happen. Uh, we've had between cash donations, goods and services, uh, uh, all that stuff, about $20,000 has come in to make that project happen so far. And to get us kind of over the hump that we're on right now to get to where we want to go, we're trying to raise about 2,500 more. Uh, and that, that'll help us get security cameras, all uh, three security cameras throughout the space. It'll help us get a little bit better supplies for cooking. Uh, it would help us uh, possibly get like a swing that we want to get and a water feature and a couple things just to make it a little bit nicer. Uh, things like also like music uh, they, like that we don't have to like drag all of our sound systems out and set it up to have music there. We want to have like a permanent fixture for that. So um, pray about that. Please pray about what uh, God would have you to do if you could help us kind of get over that uh, that little area that we're trying to get through to, to make it, to f complete this project for the summer. It is an ongoing thing. It's a garden, so there's always going to be more work to be done, and we're going to share more with that uh, in, in, uh, over the course of today. But God has just done so much. The stories have already been amazing from this project. God has been reconciling people. We've been praying for people. We've been hearing people's stories. It's already doing what we intended, what we believe that God's heart was for it to do, and we're excited to see that happen much more after we actually uh, open it. So, um, so what we're we're going to do is we're just going to talk just for a few minutes. We're going to actually kind of share more about that concept with you, and then we're going to all go and eat a meal. It's going to be an amazing meal. Brian and Laura have been working on it like crazy with their team. Uh, it's, a, it's amazing. They were there very late last night. They got up super early this morning, and I saw Brian, and he's like, oh yeah, we're still working on it. I'm like, you, did you go home and sleep? And he did go home and sleep, but he, 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 he said, he made it, at first it made it sound like he wasn't going to go. He just was here the whole time, but they made a lot of food for a lot of people, so you have to come and eat the food. Otherwise, They'll make it for nothing and we'll, well, we won't throw it away. We'll probably go find people to get it and bring them back. And, you know, that's the kind of the goal anyway. Okay, so let's, let's talk for just a few minutes. So one of my favorite Hebrew word pictures, those of you who know me know, I, we love Hebrew word pictures. There's these ancient illustrations that, uh, of old words, like literally in Moses' day, that are like little drawings and stick figures that actually tell stories that illustrate words. And one of my favorite word pictures is the word for vision. It's the Hebrew word haza, and it's three Hebrew letters. It's uh, it's het, it's ayin, and it's hay. And, and this is kind of what the picture looks like. Again, this is back, back, back in the day, very, very old. But the picture for these, for, for the, of these three letters, uh, the first one, we, we read it backwards, uh, the picture is of a fence. And then the next picture is the picture of a hammer or an axe, something uh, that typically would represent to cut, to cut off or to cut through. Uh, and then the last one is the letter hey, and the letter hey kind of looks like a stick figure, kind of like shouting, like trying to get your attention is kind of what uh, was understood to be in that day. And hey typically was what is revealed or what comes from. And uh, so the ancient illustration you get for this word for vision is vision is what is revealed when you can cut through the fence. 
or what comes from cutting through the fence? What comes from getting over it? Vision comes when you can see past all the barriers. When you can see past all the things that truthfully everybody sees. Everybody else, everybody kind of faces the same things. Everybody has the same things that stand in the way of us accomplishing the thing that God has put on our hearts to accomplish or to do the things that he's asked us to do. Every single one of us in our lives and in our journeys, we're going to hit walls. We do hit walls. We've hit many, many of them. But vision cuts through those walls. It gets over those walls. It cuts through that fence. It scales it. It does not turn around and go home the moment it doesn't go exactly the way that you thought that it was going to go. See, in life, there are going to be things that God is going to put on your heart. He, he's going to put things on your heart. That doesn't mean you're going to do them all, but he's going to put them on your heart. And you have the ability inside of you through the Holy Spirit and through him to actually accomplish the things that he's given you. I really believe that. But there are things that he's called us to do individually. There's things that he's called us to do as a church and as a body. And sometimes we will just get a vision and it might just be like a dim image through a mirror like we read about in Corinthians, it might, we might just see a little bit of it, at, at least at first. Or maybe he'll give you the whole thing and the whole thing will just drop in your lap and you'll have this big picture of what your entire life is supposed to look like. That's not really how God does it with me, but maybe that's how he'll do it with you. I don't know. Um, but for us, this table and this, it's, it's this, uh, it, as amazing of a concept as it really was from the very beginning, really we had a very dim view of what it was ultimately going to be and what even now, it still probably is dim compared to what it will eventually be. We had a very small glimpse of what actually could come from this. I mean, the best that I could do to explain it to our church was I showed them the picture of slows to goes table. It's like, hey, I mean, don't get me wrong, that's a big table too. So, you know, you go sit at that thing and you have barbecue with your friends. You're like, this is a pretty sweet table. It's yeah, I like it. Uh, but but that was the best illustration I could do for what we were trying to do or what we saw in our hearts. And for those of you who know Don and I personally, we've had many conversations over the last few years over this simple idea. It was like, hey, we want to build a table. It doesn't seem like a big deal. Just pay. It's a table. Let's build a table. Uh, and, but for some reason, we hit a lot of walls on this project. A lot of them. There was a lot of things that made us want to quit, made us think, hey, maybe we're not even supposed to do this. Maybe this whole thing was, I don't know, and maybe this was stupid. I mean, it's just a table. In fact, I think I've even kind of said it from the pulpit, for those of you who have bore with us for all the years of us kind of wrestling with this, because there was a time when we got really discouraged. And I got to a point when I'd actually convinced myself that the reconciliation table was never going to happen. Of course, I, I never shared that with the church because I didn't want to discourage all of you as much as I was feeling in that moment. I didn't want to do that. But I was frustrated because I didn't even think that it was that big of a project and I couldn't figure out why it wasn't clicking and why it wasn't going. And I kept talking about it and sharing about it. It's just a big table. Why don't we build the stinking table? How hard could it be? Uh, so, so, but everything that could possibly get in the way of this project happening, it, it really did. For three years, it got in the way. Like, we couldn't get somebody to level that lot for years. I mean, it was, it was impossible. Everybody said no. Everybody came. They said yes, and then they canceled. People's equipment got stolen. Nothing would work just to get this thing leveled. Uh, and it, it just ever, kind of just pause after pause, break after break, wall after wall. But the thing is that I'm now realizing kind of in hindsight of it is the original vision of the reconciliation table was too small. 
It really was. And it had gotten, uh, and had it been built when we first saw it in our heads, what we would have is a really big, really long table, and I'm sure it'd be really sweet, and we'd do a lot of ministry out of it. But that's basically all we'd have. But now it's actually so much more than that. You know, God actually started speaking to my wife about the project. And you're going to hear from her in just a minute. Um, in, a, in a couple of minutes, I'm going to kind of just transition this to her and she'll close us out. But God start, started speaking to Don about the project. And we began talking more and more about what could be done in this space that we have. And even though that idea of the Luke 14 banquets where we go out to the highways and we bring people back who cannot pay, them back, pay us back and give them a banquet, that is still the mission that we're going to kind of still do out of that. Originally, that was basically the whole idea, and now it's so much more than that. So we'll still do that. We're going to take Jesus literally on those words, which I don't know anybody who's doing that, to let, be like, yeah, we'll, we'll give them a banquet. So we're going to still do that, but now that's only one small piece of what this table represents and what this table will, will be. And the vision just began to expand further and further and further until it wasn't just a table anymore. It was an entire experience. It was a community garden. It was a safe space for anybody. It's going to be open for the community to come anytime. And there are elements throughout this thing with such big biblical significance about reconciliation as you go through a journey and a pathway. And most of you have heard us teach all this stuff, but it literally um, you go through this huge journey of reconciliation that literally leads to a charcoal fire, which represents that, that moment when Jesus restored Peter after Peter had denied Jesus three times by a charcoal fire. And then Jesus, he cooks him breakfast over a fire and literally for every time he denied him Jesus says hey Peter do you love me Peter do you love me Peter do you love me you get three times so he literally says, I'm going to reconcile you I'm going to reinvent I'm going to recreate this scene for you and I'm going to do it in such a way that is no longer your 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 vision of a fire is no longer going to be denying me it's going to be that you love me and it's going to be that I restored you and that I cooked for you that there's just so much stuff like that so there are elements throughout it just with so much significance. And then one day Don got these garden beds donated. Just randomly these, garden, this, these really nice garden beds got donated. And from the moment that that happened, this entire project just rolled. And honestly, we could not stop it if we could. Like if we tried, we couldn't even stop it. There's no way we could even stop it. So then we literally uh, had a friend come in. We just leveled the lot ourselves. We rented the bobcat and we just ripped up the yard and it rained that day because again, a lot came against it. It rained that day and we said, we're just going to rip this up because it's so awful. And, and, it was, and we did that. Then after several discouraging quotes about this concrete, these quotes were over $8,000 from these companies to build this huge slab. This amazing dude that I've still to this day never even met. Uh, went, he called me while I was preaching here uh, uh, on Sunday morning like 10 times and I didn't answer and then finally I called him back and he wanted to see the lot like 10 minutes from then and I couldn't go so Dawn went and she met him and she started talking to him about the vision of it and they had just an amazing conversation and he, his heart leaped and he ended up donating the entire thing completely for free. He, he actually showed up two days later uh, and he had a crew that just came and they dug it all out and they laid the concrete. We couldn't stop it if we tried. And in a few minutes, we're going to all go there and we're going to sit and we're going to eat at this table and have the first meal ever served there. And we're really excited for that because God is faithful. He really is. He was so faithful for us and he will be so faithful in your life. All it takes is us to show up, 
That's one thing that we found. God's faithful even when we're not faithful, but when we are faithful, the whole community is gonna just benefit so much more from that. It's gonna get so much easier. And if we're just willing to do whatever it is that he says to do, no matter what it costs, no matter how hard it is, no matter how much it hurts, no matter how much time it takes, even when it's inconvenient, even when it feels like failure, or it feels like this unnecessary delay, God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for our church and a plan for our community, and I promise you it's better than what we can come up with. I promise you his plan for your life is better than your plan, all your plans for your life. And for everybody who's seen God in this project already, and has already seen how he's moving, and they've gotten on board with that, Don and I are just so grateful for all of you. All of you who have helped make this thing happen. In any way, some of you have come tons of times, some a few times, it doesn't even matter. And for, for years, we as a church here, because God gave us this vision three years ago. So it's been three years since we've had it. And that's why it was, and, and it, it, wasn't even, it wasn't even remotely a reality until two months ago. Then all of a sudden, it's just, right? But for three years, we've been teaching this. So you can go back and like listen to entire sermons, several of them, on the entire concept of the reconciliation table and why we do it. I'm going to share just a little with you right now. But there are just so many examples in the Bible of this. I mean, there's a, this is a very non-exhaustive list, but this is just a few of them. I'll share a couple of them with you. We could go, every, we could go through every single one of these and show you why in our heart, in, like, we didn't build a table because we like tables. Like, we do like tables. But like, we didn't build tables because we think tables are cool. We build tables because every, when we read the Bible, there is not an image that we think kind of that comes out more for the mission of God and the mission of reconciliation than the table. God wants to reconcile with the broken world. That is his mission. That is the mission that he gave to the church. That's, that's why we were created, was to restore things, to restore back to what God created it to be. And God wants to put things back to the way that they were eventually, the way they were destroyed from the very beginning. And what, what, they what, what the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 is how we bring that, kind of re restore people's lives. And how we do that is we do that, um, we find people who are far from God, we meet them right where they are, and we don't count their trespasses against them. That's the heart. The heart behind our entire vision is this verse in 2 Corinthians 5. It says, all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and he gave us this ministry, the ministry of reconciliation. This is the ministry we've been given. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself by not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors of Christ. So our job is to do what Jesus would do in this place that Jesus is, but we are also his representatives of, and that is God, he makes his appeal through us. So people, they see us and then they should see what Jesus looks like through the way that we live and the way that we're acting. That's, how, that's what that means. And when Paul tells us we've been given this ministry, he says, listen, you're ambassadors, but how you do it is if you're, if you're gonna look like Jesus, you have to act like Jesus. And this is how Jesus reconciled people. He did it by not counting their trespasses against them. So to us, we need to be very, very intentional as a community that we never marginalize anyone because of the things that they've done. We want to make sure that we don't define people by their mistakes. And we, don't, uh, and we don't define people for all of the things that they've done wrong that maybe have, the world has ruled them out because of those things. 
And we want to be people that we just, we shine the light of Christ. We don't use the light as a way to expose people, but we actually shine that light of love everywhere that we go in every arena that we walk into so that Jesus is illuminated in these places. That makes sense? Like that's, that's the light we want to do. We want to show grace and love and hope in even the most broken situations. And I'm telling you, we're finding these situations like crazy. And what I'm, and, and I'm not just saying this because we, we built a table, but literally, like, this is the example. This is the image you get in the Bible. At, at least in my view, in our view, when we read the Bible, there is not an image more than that of a meal and that of the table that, of what it means to reconcile. That is the most representative symbol of the mission of God. I know that might sound crazy, and most people will tell me, that's not true, that's blasphemy. It's not. It, it, that's not, definitely not blasphemy. Maybe it's heresy. It's not that either, though. <laughs> um, so... They're like, they're like, is it? Like, of course we get Psalm 23. Like, we've talked about this a bunch of times. It's King David. He's thanking God. God, you, you, you know, you've given me all these things that make my life super awesome. I'm super excited. And then he says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Like, that doesn't seem like the, the, something I'd be that thankful for. But, but when King David thanks God for preparing a table for him in the presence of his enemies, that's in reference to something called a solha. It's a Middle Eastern concept that is still to this day practiced. You can go online. You can read stories about it. They're, they're, they still do this to this day. Where two enemies or feuding families or whatever it is that's going on, they come to a point in which a line is about to be crossed. And if this line gets crossed, there will be no going back. Somebody will be hurt. Somebody will be dead. It'll just be really bad. And they say, instead of crossing that line and going to this place that there's no going back from, and instead of doing something that we will regret the rest of our lives, we set the table for our enemy. And we share a meal together. And both parties determine going into this meal that we are not going to leave this table until we have come to the terms of whatever it's going to take for us to have reconciliation. For there to be reconciliation between them. Because when you sit at a table with someone, you realize the person who's sitting across from you, though they're broken just like you are, they're still a child of God. Jesus still loves them. They are still made in the same image of God that you are. Though they've distorted it just like we've distorted it, they're made in the same image of God as us. It's a way to connect with somebody's humanity rather than rob them of their humanity, which is where it sometimes gets to in these enemy feuds. In Genesis 31, you get a soha between Jacob and Laban. Uh, Jacob steals a bunch of stuff from Laban. Uh, he takes off with Laban's daughters because he's married to both of them. And then when Laban hunts him down, he sets the table for him and they have a meal together. And at that meal, they determine what are we going to do? How can we separate, go our different ways? You don't, reconciliation doesn't always mean coming back together like forever. They come to terms of their peace. How do we leave this place peacefully? So they come to those terms. Says, Jacob, you're going to go this way, I'm going to go this way, but this is what it's going to take for, to, be, to us leave peacefully. King David has tons of examples of this, but one of them uh, that we never talked about is 2 Samuel 9. And I have the hardest time saying this guy's name. Mephibosheth, I think it is. I, I, I practiced it like a hundred times. But D David, he's asking, he's like, is there anybody left in the house of Saul? Like, like Saul was one of David's, was his biggest enemy. He's like, he's like, is there anybody left in Saul? Because Saul had already died and Jonathan had died. And David was close to Jonathan, but he was enemies with Saul. And so, um, and Saul, Saul was king before David. So what happened was when David, when David became king and Saul died, um, after Saul had hunted David down and tried to kill him, right? What happens is David's sitting back and he said, listen, uh, I want to bless the house of Saul. 
I want to reconcile with the house of Saul. So he says, is there anybody left in that family so I can show kindness to them? And there was. There was a man named Mophibosheth, who the Bible says he was crippled in his feet, which is kind of symbolic to me about how Jesus says, when you give a banquet, right, go out and invite the people who are, who are lame, who are broken, who are blind, who cannot pay you back under any circumstances. So they, they bring him back, and uh, they bring him to David, and David tells him, don't fear. Now, of course, he would have had a lot of reason to be afraid because he was of the house of Saul. And he knew that David was his enemy, but David, uh, but, but David, he, he, he just taken the throne from Saul and he said, listen, I'm in the business of making things right. I want to reconcile with you. So he actually says, all the land that was Saul's is yours now. Because I loved Jonathan and I want peace with your family. He, and then he said this, he says, and you shall eat at my table always. Always. You have unlimited access to the king's table. It didn't matter what Saul had done to David. David restored Saul's family and gave him back all that they had. Of course, there's the parable of the prodigal son who, you all know this one, he basically tells his father that he wished he were dead, basically. He says, hey, give me the inheritance now. I do not want to wait for it. And so he takes the inheritance, he squanders it all, and he's left with nothing. And what happens when he comes home? First thing the father does, kill the fatted calf, throw a banquet. There's going to be a reconciliation. He's just so glad that he comes home that he throws him a banquet. He does not count what that son had done against him. All the way to the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus tells us to pray, he says, hey, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. He's praying just like King David prays in Psalm 23. He's saying, set the table, God. Give us this opportunity so that we can sit down and have a meal with somebody. And in that meal, we don't count their trespasses against them. Because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He loved us in the middle of the brokenness, in the middle of the mistakes that we've made. It's what Jesus does at the Last Supper when he washes the feet of Judas, who he knew was betraying him. And they share a meal together. Reconciliation. All the way to Revelation 3.20, when Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Now you can't miss this verse, because this is a very important one. It's, it, it's totally, it's kind of like fuels our theology of why we don't count people's trespasses against them. Jesus says, I am knocking, and all you have to do is answer. That's all you have to do. He will not count your trespasses against you. All you have to do is answer. If you answer the door when he knocks, he will come in and he will eat with you. Jesus will reconcile with you no matter what you've done as long as you open the door to him. And we have found thus far at the reconciliation table, just working on it and working in the garden and the community and all that, it's already becoming a place of stories. It's a place where people come and they come by and they ask us questions. Don talks to very, tons of them all the time and prays with them a lot. And they, they, don't really, they don't really even care about the answers to their questions, I don't think. I think they just want a chance to share their stories. They're looking to be heard. But when we open that door for them and we allow them to, hear, to, to speak and we hear their stories and they get that chance to share what's in their heart, most of the time it just all pours out. This is a place of stories. And the reason that it's so important that before you hear these stories, you hone in on the theology behind the ministry of reconciliation is because every time you hear someone's story and they, they let you into the most broken places of their hearts and you hear things that maybe are going to make you a little bit uncomfortable, 
or even worse, disturb us or screw with us or break our hearts or make us angry. We're going to have to decide every single time, every story that we hear, do I hold this against them? Do I? Do I hold it against them? You don't. You can't. I hear stories often. I think, man, that's bad. Like, this is really bad. Why are you telling me this? But Jesus still died for them. How can we collectively live the type of lives that speak to people who are that broken? Where they can actually come to a space like a garden so broken and they can leave finding healing in Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of people in our community, they've been alienated by the churches uh, over the last couple of decades. And they're not coming to us. Most of you guys know that. Our heart was never just to get them all in, but like it's not, doesn't really work for us to do it that way. But they're not coming, but Jesus still loves them. That's the part of the reason we took out some of the pews from our church. You may notice a few of them are missing. It took us 10 pews just to build the benches of the reconciliation table. And the reason we did it is because we want to, in every way possible, literally take the church to the people. We want to literally take the first step in saying, I'm sorry, we're sorry for the times in your life that you've experienced judgment and condemnation at the hand of Jesus' followers who were doing stuff that actually didn't look at anything at all like Jesus, but they did it in his name. Sometimes people get it wrong. We're human. But that's not how Jesus looks at all. I mean, we, we know as a church that not everybody's going to accept Jesus. But we want to work really, 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 really hard to make sure that they're not rejecting him because of what they see in us. We want to love people right where they are in our neighborhood, in the spaces that they're in. So we worked really, really hard. A lot of people came out. And we dreamed and we partnered with people and we showed up. Some of us showed up every day. Like my wife was there every day. A lot of you were there every day. Some came out once or twice and it's everything helped. Every little bit was another leap forward. And last night, we actually, when we left the lot, we left around 10 p.m. And for those of you who were there, it was a very special moment for us. After setting the table for all of you for today, and after setting the table for all of our neighbors, we all left this place with so much excitement. It was just so beautiful. It's so beautiful at night. It's beautiful during the day too, but you'll have to come at night sometime when we're doing these banquets for people. It's the most dignified, beautiful thing I've seen in our uh, broken little neighborhood. We just, we truly want to go after the people who won't step foot in this place. You know, Dawn will say this. She said it a million times. We're, we're just, we're not interested in being the church that fights over the same 15% of the population who actually want to go to church. We want to go after people who nobody else is going after. We want to go after people who nobody else seems to care about, and we literally want to go to them. It's, it's an awesome win when they come here. If they feel comfortable enough to come in here and hear a message and be discipled in this way, that's a really big win for us. It's exciting, but it is not the end all, and it is not our biggest win. That is not our end goal. Our end goal is the transformation in the discipleship of the people who God brings us to or to us. Whether it's in here or it's there or it's a backpack giveaway or whatever it might be. And that can happen here, but it does not have to happen here. That is why we created space, that space, and why we're going to hopefully, Lord willing, create more spaces like that. Because we want to set the table for our community. So in just a few minutes, we're going to take you over to it. And we're going to go spend some time together. And we're just going to share a meal with you at what I think is probably the biggest table in Detroit. I don't know for sure. It's going to be an amazing meal, guys. Brian and Laura, they've worked very, very hard on this meal. 
They've had a team working for endlessly on it all weekend. Um, they were here all day yesterday. They're here this morning. They're prepping. They're preparing. There's people there right now getting it ready. And today is going to be a day of celebration. A celebration of a dream that, yes, it seems like it's coming to fruition, and it is, but it's a dream that's ongoing, and you have got to grasp hold of this right now. Like, this is not a, hey, we did it, we won, not time to go home. That is not what this is. This doesn't stop just because it's built. Today is a grand opening of something that we have been entrusted with. And when you are entrusted with something, it is not just for you. It is entrusted to share. It is entrusted to, like when you're entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation, that means you reconcile other people back to God. You don't just live in that reconciliation yourself. It's a very, you have to understand that. So we don't keep ourselves, we don't just keep this into ourselves and have church picnics there all the time. We might do that sometimes. We might even have church there sometimes. But we've been entrusted with it to set the table for our community. But we have to say this before we go over there. It's not about what we together, through all of us coming together and so many others coming out and helping, it's not about what we built. It's about what happens next. We aren't celebrating today because we're finished. We're celebrating today because we're just beginning. Because a space has been created that's going to make it a little bit easier and a little bit more practical to cultivate conversations and cultivate reconciliation with people. But we built this table to be a reflection of the living God to our community. The things that we're planting and the features that are being built, they're all so thought out and they're all thought out to answer this one question. How can this be a reflection of Jesus and of his love for our community? I hope your heart is open right now, that you can hear these words. That place is a place that we realize God said, I want to do a thing. You can either be part of it or someone else can be a part of it. And we said, God, where are you going? What are you doing? My heart is wide open and I'm ready to receive and do and say yes to all the things you're doing. And he did this. We just showed up and we were faithful with what he was asking us to do. Thing after thing. And God built this thing. God built this church. We consider this, what we're doing at this table, a church plant. And we consider this space here as a training ground to go out and be the church. So I hope that you're open and you're ready and you're available. Will you go out of this place? Will you go and be a reflection of the image of God in the world around you, in your own lives. Not all of you are from here. We have so many teams here right now. Thank you for being part of what God is doing, for saying yes this week to hand out backpacks and flyers and, 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 build, and sort wood chips. <laughs> I know it's tedious, and I know it seems like, what is the point of this? But there's all, there, every little piece God has created someone to do that thing. And that's what I told the man about the concrete. I said, someone, God has called someone to do this concrete. It's either you or it's not. And he said yes. And you t this week said yes. And you, every time you go to that table, you are saying yes to what God is trying to do. We are here to reconcile people. What does that mean? What does that look like? What are we reconciling? The image of God. From the very, very beginning, 
God said, be fruitful and multiply. That's the cultural mandate. What are we multiplying? The image of God. It was lost in the garden. And God's entire mission on planet Earth from, here, from the beginning forward was to reconcile his people back to the image of the original intention of creation that was lost with sin and brokenness. All that brokenness has got to go. We need to find the good and we need to find out what God is doing in the good and call it out. Reconcile that. And the image of who God is in you will then be drawn to the image of who God is in everyone else. That's, this is this, this image that's latent in all of us. And God is trying to bring that out and restore it. That is what he is doing, the image of God. Okay, so what is that going to take? What is that going to take? Here's a few really... Well, they're idealistic, but they're very practical, so hopefully you can take this and run with it. These are the things that we need. We need to have a radical commitment to the ethos, the character, the spirit of who is God, who is Jesus. That's the image of God, and we need to be really, really committed to just be that. Love people. <laughs> That's, I mean, God is love, right? And there's lots of, there's a whole list of the characters of God. We need to, we need to have that in our hearts and our minds. We need to spend time with Jesus so we can learn who he is. We need to recognize him in our lives so we can have that in the world around us and we need to reflect that. We need to have discipleship, a commitment, and, and be articulate about what is discipleship. How do we get people from broken to whole? And what does that look like? And then how do we commission them from there? And this process I believe, starts out there. We're moving it out of these pews, guys, because it's not really working the way I think God wants it to work. He wants it to be more rapid, and it works sometimes, but I really truly believe that there's a more effective way and out there at that table and in your own world there is an element of a table or a space, a common space. Jesus chose common elements to find reconciliation, to show people who he was. So we need to go out and find those common elements. Bread and wine, that represents some amazing, incredible things, but also it was the most common element in society at that time. So, so important that we find Jesus in the common things in our lives. And, and when we do discipleship, I'll give you that model really quick here, but, but we realize that each and every one of us and every person we encounter out of these doors that don't ever come in this building until they realize we're training people up, we need to empower each and every one of us. You have it in you. You don't have to stand up here on a microphone and preach or, or, or sing or play an instrument. You don't have to do that. God is asking you to do the thing out there that makes us available to now teach. There, there are different roles, and we'll talk about those in just a second. But this, we have to empower, and, and, and all of us start to function under, under certain the things that we're called to do, and we have to function in those every day. There's, there's this organic system idea. Let's find the things in nature that God has already designed that works. And so we came across this organic system, and, and now we're applying it to our discipleship and our empowerment and, and this idea that God designed this. We just have to adapt it. I love metaphors, so I've done this. We have this idea, this sleep creep 
leap idea. It is these plants, and there are many of them in our garden, and there will be more. They sleep. When you, these, these plants, they multiply. Don't we want to multiply? The, we want to be fruitful and multiply the image of God in us. So how do we do that? These plants, they have a three to four year cycle, and you, you can literally split them in half. Plant half of them here and half of them here. And for the first year, they sleep. They rest. They establish roots. And then the second year, they start to creep. They become what they're supposed to be. And all of their beauty, all their flowers, all their shape, all the things they're supposed to be because you gave them that chance to rest and establish. Okay, so this is what we need to, this is what we'll do through the garden. There's a metaphor as you walk through the entire thing. The first section, you, you, you walk a pathway, you slow down, you take in, we don't have, quite have everything planted, but you take in the, the, the nature of who God is. You sit, we have yellow flowers which represent friendship right by this bench where you sit and you become a friend of God. You establish who you are, who that image of God is in you and you take it in. You sleep, you rest in the presence of God. And once that's established, then you creep. Don't be a creeper, but we become who we're supposed to be in the life around us, in the words that we say, in the way that we treat each other, in, in what we, how we present ourselves. All the things about our lives then start to become what it's supposed to be. That image of God is obvious in our lives outside of us. It's coming from that, that space inside of us. And then we leap. This is the place where the plants, you can literally take them again and split them and multiply them. This is, this is a doubling. Guys, this is not addition. Let's add people to the church. This is a multiplication that if each and every one of you can sleep, creep, and leap, what if we doubled this place? Just like that, because each and every one of you did this. That is the goal. That is what we want. We don't want to add the couple, the, the few that walk through. Yes, we want to do that. But more than that, we want to multiply what God is doing in your life, in your heart, in your world. And you can only do that when you leap. This is the table. This is the fire pit where what's been done in you, what's been established and is obvious now in your life, now it multiplies into the lives, the lives around you. And you can sit at that table and people can sit and rest in the presence of who God is and they can start to see that image of God. And they start to sleep. They start to rest. They become established because they start to see and know the thing that they didn't, they've been hunting for. We're all hunting for what is this image of God because that image is wholeness. Our brokenness cries out for that image of who God is. And when we cry out and there's someone there to just say, this is it. There was a girl, a lady the other day that came by and, and I, I took a leap of faith, and I was like, let me just pray for you. We're going to believe a miracle in your life. And she just, I mean, she just, she just started telling, how are you? Oh, this and that. And she's telling me all her problems, like moments. I don't know if you guys experienced that when you've been here, but it's incredible. I can't even describe it. So we prayed together, and I was like, look, your miracle's coming. And she's like, just lost it. I need a miracle. There's nothing else. There's nothing left but a miracle. And literally the next day, guys, she came. I wasn't there. She came and she was like, somebody tell Dawn, my miracle came. The miracle is there. We just have to have that leap of faith. Just like Abraham who said, I'm just going to believe and God's going to do the rest. 
Believe, just have faith that the image of God will be restored. Let it, let it leap. Let it leap from your life. Sit at the table, look someone in the face, and give them just, just a moment to hear their story, understand and say, I can't even understand how hard that must be. Let me believe with you that there will be wholeness for your life. Let me be the first to say there will be wholeness. Sometimes we just need to hear that in our brokenness. We just need to let it leap, guys. Let it leap. And as we do this, can you commit to go out and go deep into the culture? We ask the culture to come across these cultural boundaries. That's a little unfair, right? We ask them to come into this place that's so uncomfortable. Why can't we do what Jesus did? He didn't stay in heaven on the throne. He came down to earth and became a man. He came into your world to know what your world was like, to show you in your world what it looks like. Read the Gospels. Read them. If you don't read them every single day, you need to start. Read all the other stuff you read. I don't care, but read the Gospels. Look at the life of Jesus, the way that he loved people, the way that he crossed the boundaries of culture. Go out there. Go into the culture. Let them know in their world that there's wholeness in that space because you can see it. You can smell it. You can feel what their, their culture is. And then you, you can speak wholeness. Commit to this. What is the expression of the gospel that these people that you're encountering, the alienated, the marginalized, the normal people, whatever, whatever that looks like in your world, what is it about the gospel that's good news to them? I, I'm not sure it's the same for everyone. The basic, yes, but there's a certain element of of the gospel that speaks in your world at certain points. Have you experienced that? Where sometimes it's this part of the gospel, you're like, whoa, that's amazing. Grace is awesome. And then over here, you're like, I really need mercy. I really just need forgiveness. And they're, they're a little bit different, and they're tailored for our lives. Be missional. Be in the world that God created and that he came to. Go be there. Don't just sit in here. Jesus died for for all of our sins. But sometimes when you're addicted to drugs, that means nothing to you. Nothing, it means nothing. But can we sort out the good and the bad? When, when there was a woman who came in here a few years ago and she just lost it, she was like, I'm so addicted to drugs. I have so much guilt and shame because my grandchildren don't get to see me not on drugs. I can't do it. I don't know how. I don't have the strength. But for me to look at her and say, Jesus died for your sins, it will go away. What does that even do for her? But for me to stand and cry with her and say, the guilt and the shame is so heavy. But I want you to know Jesus can lift that from you. He can bring you peace and he can bring you strength. His burden is light. So much more effective for her. Yes, she needs to know that Jesus died for her sins and his, his death and his resurrection is why. But, but we need to figure out what is the gospel? What is meaningful to these people in our lives? What is the most effective thing they need to hear? And it's tailored for every single person. 
Do your part. If you think in this place, oh, I don't preach, oh, I don't evangelize, oh, I don't really know how to teach things, I don't sing and dance, I don't cook, maybe I could use a broom, but I'm not very good at it. Stop. God has a role. God had a role for that concrete man. And he said yes to it. God had a role for Courage Church, and we're saying yes to it. There, there are agents of the king. You're all agents of the king, but there are some people who can see it before it's there. And if that's you, grab a hold of that. Take the DNA that God is giving you and say, it's got to be this. For us, that's been dignity and elegance has to be the theme of reconciliation here. And we've run with that theme. And we're, we're running with it. And that's why it is exactly the way it is, because that's what God gave us. So if he's given that to you for something, run with it. If, if Some people are just an ear to God to say, I told you to do that. Remind them to be faithful. Are you an ear to God that you just hear the voice of God? Speak it. Say the voice of God. I just feel like God wants us to be faithful in this do that for justice and mercy, for the poor, for the alienated, for the marginalized, for love. Be an earpiece to God. Love this person. Reach out to that person. This is the gospel for this person. Some people just are just really enthusiastic. You recruit people. Let's do this. This is going to be great. Some of us who see it how it's supposed to be can't get people there. We need you. We need you all. Some people... The, the, the shepherd, the idea of a pastor, the rod and the staff, they guide and they protect all the other things that have happened. Now, if we're all busy with these things, we can't necessarily do this one thing. So we need you. We need you. When we, we need to guide and protect, do that for people. Pray with them. Remind them of who they are. Protect the image of God. Create a community that looks and acts like Jesus. We all have a part in this, and if some of this is like, I can do that, do that, do that. And some people just have wisdom and understanding about, this is what the Bible says, and we need to make sure that we're applying this. Do that, do that, do your part. And there's so many pieces. Just be faithful. Take risks. We took a risk to do this project. Are you willing to take risks? I hope so, because this is risky gospel, but it's worth it. It's so worth it. You won't lose anything that God can't re reconcile, right? The risk is, it's just, seems minimal to me, but some people, it's really hard. Take risks in your life and partner with God, and that is what we've done here. It's called prevening grace. You take this idea that God's doing something, Find out what God's doing and join in. Be part of that. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to be part of what God's doing? Because that's what we're doing today at this table. Find out what he's doing. What is he doing? I'm going to start to close with this. There's this glass tree frog. It's translucent. And I want you to think about this and what can people see in us? Do they look into us and see, are we translucent, letting people see Jesus in us? Now this tree frog, you can see every single organ in its body, but the rest of its body is translucent. So you can see through it, but not all of it's transparent. This makes them incredibly susceptible to predators because you look and you see organs and it's like, whatever's gonna eat, it's like, mmm, organs, delicious. And you're, you're so susceptible to being destroyed. And now their eggs 
are susceptible to drying out. So they use their bodies after they lay their eggs to protect those eggs from dehydrating. But they can't exactly do that all the time. They really can't protect their eggs because they're seen, the organs are seen, and, and this predator is drawn to it. It makes them incredibly vulnerable to be translucent. And then their eggs hatch early because they're dehydrating, and it, it, it's very complicated. It's a difficult animal to keep alive. Don't be translucent. Be transparent. When you're transparent, it doesn't reveal everything about you. It uses who you are to reflect what's written on your heart and your life. Okay, I'm super old school. You remember the transparencies? None of you guys remember. You know what I'm talking about? It's this big box that has a light in this little thing, and you slide a transparency with words on it, and then it projects it on the wall. So that was before all this. When you are a transparency sheet, whatever is written on you is what is projected. Not you. You never see the sheet. You don't see it. You see what's written on the sheet because you let the light shine through you. There's a message written on your life that somebody out there just needs to see or hear or read. Whatever you've gone through, the way that you project what is written is tailored to people out there that need you. Please, you're an agent. They need your story. They need the way that you receive the love of God. The tailored gospel message for your life could be what someone else needs so desperately today just to convince themselves to wake up tomorrow. Let Jesus shine through you. Isaiah 54, 12 says, and I will make thy windows of agates. We've mimicked this in our churches with the stained glass window. The agates are these different colored rocks that are just sliced up and they're beautiful patterns. When Jesus shines through you as a window of agate, his light shines in a beautiful pattern that is tailored. Hugh McMillan's talks about the gospel and nature. It's beautiful. And he says this, I will make thy windows of agates not bright and transparent for our weak eyes dimmed with pain and weeping cannot bear the strong sunshine, not dark and opaque for the soul climbing up and staring out to look out and see the light behind the cloud, the beauty behind the shadow and baffled in its efforts would fall back upon itself, morbid and despairing. They are windows of agates, neither transparent nor opaque, but mercifully tampered by him who best knows the requirements of each individual case and who in all our affliction is afflicted. How soft and subdued is the light they admit, inexpressibly soothing to the soul, which affliction has made tender. Has he made you tender? Through the smoked glass, the most delicate eye can look long without shrinking upon the sun of righteousness, exquisitely harmonizing with the loneliness and the darkness within. We draw down the blinds of our windows when the sun is shining too strongly 
into our rooms. And so God modifies the sunshine of this world's beauty and joy by those agate windows. Your brokenness, your story, your pain, the way that God shines through it is so beautiful in a way that some people have never seen God's love shine. It's been so strong and they're in such a dark place that we come and we talk about their transgressions and it's so bright, they just close the blinds. They don't want to walk through those doors. But the beautiful love of Jesus is so beautiful through your story. Don't hold back from this world the way that he wants to shine. We are made to be a perfect reflection of Jesus. And though you're not perfect, it's tailored. Do you see what I'm saying, what we're going with this? Because of grace, the wholeness that we've, we've worked toward, that Jesus has given us, is perfect. Somebody out there needs your story. It's a perfect expression. Can we be part of reconciliation beyond this, beyond sitting next to somebody and hoping they hear the gospel, hoping they get saved? I want to commission you this morning. I want you to feel equipped, like you matter, that your story and your brokenness, it's behind you, but Jesus shines through it, and it's beautiful, and he's, he's working toward wholeness. Join in what God is doing. If you want to join in what God is doing, if you want to say, Jesus, what are you doing? I don't want to find the transgressions anymore. I just want to know what you're doing, and I want to go alongside of you. If you want to do that today, will you just stand up so I can pray over you? And then we're going to go over there and eat. It smells amazing. Please, you want to do, do you want your brokenness and your story to be part of this? Keep each other accountable. If you see your friends standing right now, remind them of this. Hold each other accountable. The image of God is latent in you, and it's latent in the drug addict and the crazy lady down the street. It's latent in every single person in humanity. We're here to begin to call that out and reconcile it. Are you willing to give it a shot and just see if maybe the world will change with the love of God shining through your life. God, I thank you for every person in this space, every person that's passed through, God, this morning, and every person that's going to go to that table, whether they need to be reconciled or they need us to just let your love shine through them, into their lives. God, I thank you that it's been tailored. And God, I pray that as we stand here with the mission and the ministry of reconciliation, the mission of redeeming your image, God, in all of creation to be fruitful and multiply, not add, multiply your image, God, the greatness of who you are, God, your character and your ethos. God, that we would 
sleep. We would let, show people how to sleep and be redeemed and reconciled, that we would creep and become who we're supposed to be and that we would leap and multiply that in the world around us. God, I pray over these agents right now that they are agents of you, God, and they believe that your image is latent in them and that they believe that they have a role, they have a part, that they will choose to go out of their comfortable space, that they would cross a cultural boundary or two, and they would go deep into that culture and find and listen, Holy Spirit, to what you are saying about what your gospel, Jesus, means to them. And we would say it, we would be bold, and we would say the wholeness thing that helps people. God, speak to us, we're open this morning. We're gonna take risks. And we're going to find out, God, what you are doing. And we are going to be part of that in every space around us. Let us be open and listening. In Jesus' name, I commission you for the ministry of reconciliation. Amen.